0: This evening we'll be reading from the book of Romans, familiar passage, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Again, we're going to be starting a, a sermon series in the book of Ruth, and one of the themes that we're going to see even this evening is the providence of God and how He works all things for the good of His people, and that's what this passage in Romans is about. Let's we'll start in verse 28. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, this evening we're starting a a short sermon series on the book of Ruth. And our sermon this evening is going to be coming from Ruth 1. We're going to be reading the whole chapter together. Ruth chapter 1. Listen to these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons, These took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Many of us are probably familiar with the story of Ruth. It's an amazing story, Naomi and Ruth. You remember they start in the land of Moab, they return to Israel, and that's when Ruth meets Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz are married, and Naomi is blessed with a grandchild. Um, That's often how the book is summarized, just as simple as that. It seems like it's just a love story. And it's a great love story. It is more than that, though, because someone in my description there, it's one of my little summaries, someone was missing. The most important person in the story, it's actually God. See, Ruth is more than just a love story between two people like Ruth and Naomi or Ruth and Boaz. In a sense, it is a love story, but it's a love story between God and His people. It's really the story of God's steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to His people. And His love and faithfulness are shown through the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. It shows us then if we see the book of Ruth correctly, we are looking at a story about God and His love, and we are looking at a story then about Jesus, because God blesses His people with salvation in Jesus Christ. As we begin the book together this evening, we see in chapter 1 that God graciously brings His children back to Himself because He is a faithful God. Okay, and God is bringing His children back to Himself because He is a faithful God. And we'll see that main idea in three points. We'll see first a sin-filled introduction in verses 1 to 5. Then we'll see returning in faith in verses 6 to 18. And then third, we'll see signs of blessing in verses 19 to 22. So first, a sin-filled introduction in verses 1 through 5. Uh, The the book of Ruth begins in a very dark place, a very difficult situation. By the end of verse 5, Naomi is living in a foreign country with no husband or sons left to support her, and she has two daughters-in-law who are depending on her. Uh, That would be a difficult situation, even today, if that were to happen. So we start with a difficult situation, but actually it's worse than that. We start with a very dark situation. Situation because these opening five verses describe a nation and a family that turn away from God. We see the the sin of Israel starting first in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. At the time of Judges, if you've read Judges recently or even in the past, you know that the time of the judges was a very sad time in Israel's history because of Israel's repeated sin. Israel's life at that time was a cycle. It was a cycle of sin and then God's judgment on them. Then they would repent and God would forgive them and save them and they'd all do it all back again. As you look at the whole history of the book of Judges, it actually gets worse and worse and worse. Each cycle of sin drags them further down and away from God. The common phrase in the book of Judges is, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the worst indictment of the people of God. They're not following God, they're following themselves. Now, Ruth, the book of Ruth opens during one of these cycles in a time of God's judgment. We know that because Ruth says there's a famine in the land. And in Deuteronomy 11, God promised that if Israel did not keep his commandments, he would stop the rains and he would bring famine until they repented. That's what we see here in Ruth. God is judging Israel for their sin. What we see in the nation, we also see reflected in one family. We see that state of sin playing out in the life of a family from Bethlehem. It's interesting, even before we know their names, we know what they've done. It's very significant. A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the author goes out of his way to emphasize their action again at the end of verse 2. For us, it might not seem like a big deal. They're leaving Israel to go out to live in Moab. Maybe they just thought it was going to be for a, a short period of time. It's the idea of sojourning there. Maybe they're just trying to find something to eat. You can understand their reasoning. There's no food in Bethlehem. Let's go look somewhere else. Or maybe they want better job prospects. Maybe something for their kids. But these, this family, Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Chilion were leaving the promised land. They were walking away from God and his people to go and live in a pagan country. They're essentially breaking their covenant with God. God has said that you are my people and this family, this Israelite family is turning their backs on him. They are voluntarily giving up God and his blessings for some bread. But their sin gets even worse because that sojourn turns into a very long stay. Ten whole years. Ten whole years pass by before God brings them back. That's ten years spent away from God. Ten years spent away from God's people and God's worship. To make matters worse, the boys are really ready to settle down. You notice that they marry Two pagan Moabite women. Slowly but surely, this family is going further away from God and setting down roots where they shouldn't be. This family certainly seems to have given up on God, but he has not given up on them. In a series of very hard providences, God brings Naomi back to himself. The suffering of Naomi in these opening verses is very real. I want you to feel it. These are very, very hard providences that God brings into her life. First, her husband dies. Then one by one, her two sons die. Can you imagine what that would be like to bury your husband and your two children? Her hopes and her dreams have gone to the grave with her children and her husband. That would be very hard to experience. And Naomi, as she's in the midst of that suffering, doesn't understand it. Actually, doesn't look like it yet, but we're going to see that God's actions in Naomi's life, even that time of suffering, are actually extremely gracious. God has not given up on Naomi. He is bringing Naomi to the point where she is ready to return to Israel and to return to him. That's what we see second, verses 16 to 18, returning in faith. Uh, verse 6 tells us now that Naomi has finally reached the point where she's ready to return home. And the decisive factor in her decision is the grace of God. Look how verse 6 says it. She's ready to do this, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the visit, God visiting his people is such an important time. And the Lord will visit his people to either to judge them or to bless them. And what Naomi hears is that God has come to bless his people again. He has graciously forgiven Israel for their sins, and he's now coming to bless them with food once again. This is a good time in the life of Israel. God has visited in grace and love. So when Naomi hears that, she knows it's time to go home, and she brings her two in laws Ruth and Orpah, on the road back to Israel. But then Naomi tries to send them home. To Moab. Uh, Naomi's reasoning here is very pragmatic. You can see her arguments in verses 11 to 13. She says, Ruth and Orpah, you're not going to be able to find a husband where we're going. I can't give you one. I'm too old to have any more children. You couldn't marry my sons. So you're going to have more success going back to Moab and finding a man there. But you notice Naomi's argument is not just pragmatic like that, it's also religious. That's religious sides to it. Naomi urges Ruth to follow Orpah, and listen carefully, back to her people and back to her gods. Notice that language, back to her gods. Naomi is telling Ruth and Orpah in no uncertain terms that the Lord is not their God. They would be better off with Chemosh, the Moabite God, than with the Lord. Now, Naomi's argument here makes some sense from a human perspective, but it really fails from the perspective of faith because Naomi does not do justice to God. Think, for instance, how often does God say that he is a God of the widow and the orphan and the stranger? In other words, how often does God say he is the God of the Naomi's and Ruth's and Orpas of the world? He says it directly in places like Psalm 68.5. He is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. And he actually gave his people laws to protect widows and orphans and strangers. You can see them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The people of Israel were commanded by God to take care of these very people because God loves them. So Naomi is not doing justice to God by not recognizing that he is a God of these very same people, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah in their situations. But think also, how often does God actually welcome pagans like Ruth and Orpah to come and worship him? How many places in the Bible does he call for the nations to come and worship him? I mean, the list would be so long. Think about the Psalms And they clear calls to worship of people like Ruth and Orpah. People who have been outside the covenant. God calls them to worship. So you can see now there is something serious that is lacking in Naomi's faith. God is her God, but in her mind, he might not be the God of Ruth and Orpah. But the issues with Naomi's faith actually even run deeper still. Because she still believes in the Lord. Okay? She believes in his sovereignty. She is returning because of, because of his work in verse 6. She clearly sees it's, the God, it's God at work. And she recognizes later that all the events of her life are from God. Look at verse 13. And as she sends Ruth and Orpah away, she sends them with the blessing of the Lord. But Naomi's faith is lopsided. Did you notice there is no confession here of the Lord's goodness to her? There is no joy because of his work in her life. Instead, there's actually a deep bitterness because of how God has treated her. Notice what she says The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She sees God in his sovereignty, but she does not see God in his love. So Naomi's faith is real, it is genuine. I don't want you to miss that either. God has sustained Naomi's faith through some really incredible trials. Many people have left the church and have left God over more minor things than what Naomi experienced. But Naomi's faith is also at the same time limited. She lacks the joy and an understanding of God's love and compassion for her. And actually, we'll see even in, the, in Ruth 1, but throughout the whole book, one of the most beautiful things of this book is God teaching Naomi about his character. God teaching Naomi, about how much he loves her and how much he actually blesses her. Now, what's most striking in these verses here, verses 6 to 18, is is really not actually Naomi's faith. It's actually Ruth. Ruth and her commitment and her faith. Listen to Ruth's words. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I went, will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth here is, is demonstrating an immense and deep love and loyalty to Naomi. She will go wherever Naomi goes. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how hard it's going to be, she is committed to Naomi. And that shows us Ruth here is actually reflecting the character of God. She is reflecting the character of God because she is demonstrating steadfast love toward Naomi. She she has committed herself to serve Naomi regardless of the circumstances or the suffering that that may involve. God is actually giving Naomi a picture of himself in the person of Ruth. She is showing Naomi what Naomi's God is actually like. But Ruth even goes further than just loyalty because she commits herself to Naomi's people and Naomi's God. This is is a stunning thing for a pagan Moabite to say. She is giving up her people and she is giving up her gods to be counted with God's people and to trust and obey God. Underlying these words is Ruth's faith. She has a lot more to learn She's going to learn a lot more about this God that she serves, but but already we see the powerful work of God in Ruth's life. He is bringing a sinner like Ruth, who is far outside the covenant and a saving relationship with God. He is bringing Ruth to himself in faith. So actually both Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem in faith, but again with much to learn about the God that they believe. That leads us then to our third and final point, the signs of blessing in verses 19 to 23. The, the signs of blessing, as you look at these last verses, they might be hard to see, but they are definitely there. And it's hard, it was, might be hard for us to see. It feels like it's almost impossible for Naomi and Ruth to see that God is actually already starting to bless them as he brings them home. See, the very first blessing is actually that Ruth and Naomi reach Bethlehem. and I don't just mean the blessing of a safe journey. I mean that they are now back in the promised land. They are back where they should be. And they have access, again in the case of Naomi, or access for the first time for Ruth to the blessings of God, God's worship and the blessings of God's people. But notice that even as they come home, Naomi continues to focus on the way that God has treated her. She said to the people of Bethlehem, do not call me Naomi. Names means pleasant. Don't call me that. No, call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi goes so far as to change her name to reflect her experience. Now, every time when someone sees her in the street they will be reminded of how she thinks God has treated her. She has a right to be bitter. And she is convinced, she says it in those verses, she is convinced that she returns to Israel completely empty. Now that idea of being empty and full, that's another important theme in the book of Ruth. We'll see that God slowly but surely starts to fill Naomi's life. And Naomi's words here, actually hint at how part of this kind of blessing is going to come. The blessing of fullness is going to come through Ruth because notice that she doesn't actually come back empty. She comes back with Ruth. There is hope in the person of Ruth, though neither Ruth nor Naomi quite understand how God is going to care for them and bless them together. Now, the final blessing we see in this section may be the clearest. Verse 22 and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And the author isn't just noting the time on the calendar, saying like it's September 12th and the harvesters are out there in the field. No, no, no. He is pointing out the time of God's blessing. Not only has God provided them with seeds to grow and the plants are almost there, now it is time to reap the harvest. There is food on the table because God has blessed them. So Ruth and Naomi actually come home when the blessings of God are about to be experienced by his people. Naomi, that sinful Israelite widow, and Ruth, the Moabite widow, return to God's blessings. Neither of them deserved any of God's blessings because of their background and their actions. But God is a merciful and gracious God, and He loves to save and bless His people. And so, He chose to be abundantly merciful to both Naomi and to Ruth. I wonder if you see yourself in Ruth 1. Do you see yourself in this chapter? I definitely do. I'm like Naomi so many times because I, don't, I know I don't deserve God's grace, I know I don't deserve the providences that he actually gives me to bring me back to himself when I'm wandering away. But I also see that I'm like Ruth because just like all of God's people, I've, I've been brought from death to life. And actually, like Ruth, I think each one of us in this room is a Gentile. We started out far away from God. Think Ephesians 2. We're far away from the promises of God and yet God in Jesus Christ is now bringing the whole world Jew and Gentile to the cross to be made one man in Jesus Christ. That's me and you. If You belong to Christ. You know, but even more than seeing myself in this passage, I see Christ. I see him so clearly because God in Christ loves to save sinners and to bring his wandering sheep back to himself. We see the gospel here in the book of Ruth because Jesus died on the cross for our sins to bring us to faith like Ruth, and to make us persevere in our faith like Naomi. God never gave up on these two children of His because He loved them in Jesus Christ. We have a loving and compassionate God and Savior who will never, ever, ever let us go. He will not let us go. He may discipline us as we see in the life of Naomi, but he is actually working powerfully in all things to make us learn and rejoice in his love and his blessing for us. Let me just make a few brief applications as we close. I want to encourage us this evening to rejoice in God's providence. As we, as we look at Naomi's life in Ruth 1, we see God's hard mercies. I think that was very clear. They, they, these are hard things for Naomi to experience, but they are both hard and a mercy at the very same time. They're hard because they're very painful. They're very sad, very difficult, but they are a mercy of God because God was stripping everything out of Naomi's life that was keeping her from coming back to him. God was doing these things for her good. As we see in this opening chapter, Naomi is not yet able to rejoice in God's providence. She doesn't see his goodness yet. I'm going to say, if you've been in a hard situation in your life, a very difficult, maybe even a very sad providence, have you found yourself in a similar situation to Naomi and found it very hard to rejoice in what God has brought? Sometimes all that we can do is rejoice in faith because we don't see what God is doing. We can't see God's plan, but we can rejoice in all circumstances. I love the line from God Moves in a Mysterious Way that hymn we just sang. It says, You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And then listen to this. Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. That is true. That is exactly what we see here in the book of Ruth. And as we know the truth of Scripture that God truly is at work for our good and His glory in the providences, especially in the hard providences, that can be an encouragement for us to rejoice, even as difficult as it is to rejoice and to rejoice in faith, not always in sight. But the second encouragement, the second application is really to rejoice in God's character. God doesn't change. God never, ever changes. And that is exactly why we can trust God and exactly rejoice in all the circumstances he brings into our life because he is always abundantly gracious. He is always abundantly merciful for his people. Again, he disciplines us, but he never, ever deserts us. And he is the one who makes us bear the cross of suffering. That's true but he makes us bear the cross of suffering of Christ so that we can share in his glories. There is always a purpose for our sufferings because he is a God who never, ever stops loving us. Now, I love a line from another hymn, Be Still My Soul. The author says, Your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. And I would say it's not only that he can do this, is that he does do this. He does do this because he never changes. He does not ever leave us alone. He continues to bless us in this life and in the next. Naomi and Ruth proved that to be true, and you and I will prove that time and time again to be true in our own lives. In difficult circumstances in particular, I want you to never, ever forget who God is for us. And if the way is dark and you can't see what God is doing, look at the cross. Because if you want to be reminded of who your God is, look at the love of Jesus Christ for you in dying for your sins. And that love that he showed us on the cross is the love that he shows us now. The love that will never, ever, ever let us go. And as we rejoice in God's providence, as we rejoice really in God's character in all circumstances, this is not something that you just try harder to do. It's true that we need to look to Christ, but most of all, we need to look and pray for God's grace. God is going to do these things in your life because He is conforming you to the image of His Son. He is at work in the life of Naomi and Ruth. We're going to see that. And He is at work in your life as well. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we are just amazed by how great and loving and gracious a God you are. Help us never, ever to forget that. For all the times that we look at hard circumstances, and some of us, many of us, have gone through very deep waters even recently. Lord, we pray that we would take ten looks at Christ, that we would see that the love that you have for us in Christ never changes. You will never leave us or forsake us, but you are always working to bring us back to yourself. You are always working to bless us, to train us in righteousness, to bring us back to yourself. And your goal is to make us get to heaven. Your goal is to bring us into your very presence for eternity we are amazed by how big your plan for us really is. Help us to trust you, especially in the dark circumstances of our lives, knowing that you are at work even in that darkness, and that in time, either in this life or in the life to come, we will see the light of your face, and we will be with you to worship you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.